Welcome to the Urban Hope Podcast. Today's sermon is called Salvation is of the Lord from Acts 15, 1 through 21 from Pastor Alton Hardy. Please stand with me. Turn to the book of Acts chapter 15. Should be page 1097 in your pew Bible. But if you just want to read it up on the screen, it'll be there as well. To the right and to the left. And we're back in the book of Acts. We're in the middle of the book. Well, you say, Pastor, how long will it take before we finish up? I don't know. So ask Jesus. He, um, they're predicting all kinds of storms coming our way. Who knows what may come our way? So I don't know. I don't know the future. I don't know the past. I barely even know the now. So <laughs> let's go with that. All right, here we go. Acts 15, verse 1 to 21, ESV translation. Here we go. But some men came down from Judea, and they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they had came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them, but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, is it necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses? The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by the, mouth, by the mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they had finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them for a people for his name. And with these words of the prophets agreed, just as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, and the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, 
who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from all the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from that has been and from what has been strangled and from blood for from ancient generations Moses had in every city those who proclaimed him for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Here we go. The grass withers and the flowers fade. You may be seated. <clears throat> the series on the Decalogue was really beneficial to our church. All the speakers did a really fantastic job. Noah, who's the youngest of the group, Chad, and Dion. And so I want us to just give a round of applause for the great preaching and teaching that they did on the Ten Commandments. Did a good job, guys. Um, Dion gave us the stats uh, last time he was up on the Ten Commandments from the Barnard Research Group. And you remember he said that 60% of Americans can't name even five of the Ten Commandments. Hopefully that's not in this room, but if it is, let's learn the Ten Commandments. Go buy it, print it out, put it on your phone, put it on your refrigerator, put it on your, on your eating table, put it in your car when you're driving, put it on your bicycle, put it on your, on your TikTok, put it on your iPhone, put it on wherever you need to put it so you can know the Ten Commandments. Because he said only 60% of Americans even know them. And then he said only 14% can accurately name all 10 of the commandments. That's pretty bad. I'm going to go somewhere with that. Multiple surveys reveal the problem in stark terms when it comes to this biblical illiteracy in our country. Uh, according to 82% of Americans, God helped those. Dion, where are you at? Where's Dion? Now? He's not here yet. Yeah. I need you to find the scripture for me and give me the verse to it. Here it goes. Um, God help those who help themselves. Anybody know what that verse is? They say, oh, you're pretty smart. You know what that verse is? Crash, you know? Is that Genesis 1, 5 or something? <laughs> See my point? But 82% of Americans believe that. God help those who help themselves. You may have believed that until I just quoted it. It's not in the Bible. But most Americans believe that. A majority of Americans, adults, think that the Bible teaches that the most important purpose in life is taking care of one's family. Can't find that scripture neither. But that's what most Christians in America believe. Most Americans. By the way, um, don't help those who can't help themselves. You say, well, Pastor, we're all Christians in that. They're only 1% better. So if it's 80% with American people, Christians only got it at 79%. <laughs> so a lot of that bad teaching is in uh, among the people of God. I was very intentional, or we were very intentional that we taught the Ten Commandments at this time here at HCC. 
Because the Ten Commandments reveals to us the holiness of God. His perfect requirement of righteousness, his character, his standards, and his glory. Hopefully what you experienced over the last few months, that none of us measure up to the commandments of God. When Chad was, was preaching last week on covetousness, hopefully we all felt that, that we all covet. If you're on Instagram and TikTok, you can't help but covet. The whole thing is designed for you not to like your life, to not to like your wife or your husband. Someone is always in better shape than you are. You men got to be really strong to go on Instagram. Our wives can't compete with that. No way in Jose can we compete with that. That whole system is designed to make you mad at your own wife. Like, why you don't look like that? Because a robot made that. <laughs> a doctor in a lab. <laughs> you have four or five kids. You know, I don't know where, I don't know where they get no women from. <laughs> so when Chad was speaking that, then we all feel that. We don't measure up. Romans 3.23 is correct when it says, all have sinned. And we fall short of the glory of God. That we don't measure up to the standard of God. And that's what the Ten Commandments do to us. They help us see that we fall short of God's perfect standards. We're born to be idol worshipers. We lie without even opening our mouths sometimes. We lie to ourselves. Man, you got to understand, no, I'm good. And the Holy Spirit's looking like, Holy Spirit don't wear glasses. He's like, What? But we just do it. That's what the Ten Commandments do. We fall short of God's glory. This glory in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah speaks about this glory of the Lord. He says in Isaiah chapter 6, he said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, that's why we're Bree was singing this morning, holy. These seraphim, they were saying, every time they see the Lord, holy. They were like, hey, holy. And they're crying out to each other, holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah says, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, and I said, whoa, here's a holy prophet keeping the commands of God as best he could. And he's in the presence of God. He gets this heavenly vision and he says, whoa, he says, whoa, he says, whoa. He's, he's not like, I got it, I'm good, I got it all made up. No, he's like, get me out of here. Whoa! God's glory is too much to handle. His standard, he's not a joke. Isaiah says, whoa! It's me. 
And look what he says. He said, for I am lost. I'm not found. I'm lost. I am dead. I am filled up with sin. That's what the commandments do. They, they, they present our hearts as they really are. That we are lost. We are hopeless. For I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. This is why it irks me when I see Christians on social media, rest in peace to people. They don't know who the Lord of glory is. They have no idea when they die and they, no, don't do that. Even for us who are living for him, we don't play with his name. We don't take his name in vain. We're talking about the king of the universe. He's not to be toyed with, to be played with. He's to be reverenced in awe of him. He is sovereign God, ruler over all of life. He holds your very breaths even right now. He's not to be a plaything. People rest in peace to someone who cursed him out on this side. And you go on the internet and you put rest in peace? Do you understand what you're doing? Isaiah, a holy prophet, goes into the presence of the Lord and all he can do, he says, whoa, I am lost. The commandments, they reveal the glory of God and his standards. Salvation is of the Lord. It is not from man-made rules and regulations. It is not of your own doing of accomplishing anything good works, but it is of the Lord. It will not come by you trying to keep the commandments. That's what my sermon is today. The salvation is of the Lord. It is not from you trying hard, trying to keep the commandments, but it is you and I recognizing the salvation is of the Lord. Well, here in our text in Acts chapter 15, we're in the middle of the book, and this is a major chapter in the book of Acts. Because in this chapter, it has arisen, arose, a serious issue that has come about in the overall church community that can split the church, bring disunity for years to come concerning the Gentiles and their inclusion in the church. Scholars, theologians believe that this took place in 49 A.D., in 50 AD, and this is what we call the first major gathering of the apostles that walked with Jesus and the elders. Remember Paul, last chapter, he installed elders in all the churches. And so even in Jerusalem, you got the apostles who will die off. They're the apostles who walked with Jesus. They saw him alive. And some people ask, are there modern-day apostles? Not in the sense like the apostles of the Lamb. No. These guys were a special group of men that Jesus called to himself 
and he anointed for a certain task. They wrote scripture. They helped build the foundation of the church. There are no one writing scriptures anymore. No one, not anyone. So those guys, that has gone and gone. That was a particular time and season of the church. There are no apostles who can write scripture that we can call, goes and add it to this book that we have, the 66 books in the Bible. That is done with. So be careful when you're watching these people online say, hey, I got a new revelation from God. Now, I don't know about that, bro. No, 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 no. Scripture, the canon of scripture has been closed. And so these apostles and elders, they met. And called, if you look at your chapter, it's called the Jerusalem Council. I like to call it what we call it here in the PCA, Presbyterian, we call it the, the first general assembly of all the elders. They come together as a church to discuss the matter at hand. And so the chapter tells us, what is this fuss all about? Well, let's read it. Let's jump back into it. So why are they meeting? What's the big issue? Well, let's read and see what the text tells us here from Dr. Luke. It says, but some men came down from Judea, and they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They came down to Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas was preaching in that church in Antioch. So they came there and said, hey, these Gentiles, those who are outside the law of Moses, they can't be saved unless they go get circumcised. And the word of God says, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. But the word there says they had a small um, dissension, meaning they were debating quest. They were getting it in. This Greek word here, um, dissension, means stasis. It means to engage in intense and emotional expressions of different opinions. It was a heated debate. They were going at it. You ever been to our General Assembly and to our Presbytery? Sometimes it can go on for 15, 20 hours. We get in a hot debate, and we go at it, discussing what the Word of God is actually saying. And sometimes people have difference of opinions, and it can go on for a long time. So you have to be persuasive with the Word of God. So they were debating with these Pharisees and these Judaizers who were saying that the Gentiles need to be circumcised to keep the law of Moses. That was their debate. And down in verse 5, so Paul and Barnabas, after they debated with them, no one was given an edge. Then they said, well, let's have a general assembly. That's why we meet every year as a denomination Somewhere in one of our churches in one city, we get together to debate the hot issues that are pressing up against the church. We do it every year. Some years are more um, um, hotly debated than other years. It all depends on what the issues are that comes about. 
And so Paul and them said, well, let's go to the Jerusalem. And so verse 3, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. And then they came to Jerusalem. They, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers belonged to the party of the Pharisees, rose up and said, here they are, it is necessary to circumcise them, talking to the Gentiles, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. These Judaizers, they were pretty legalistic. There's a lot of legalistic Christians. I'm going to explain that. It's it, um, they really have a hard time understanding God's grace. And so the Judaizers, I would say, they actually didn't necessarily deny God's grace. Here's what they were actually arguing about. They didn't deny it outright. Here's what they were saying in verse 5. They simply said that salvation came by grace plus. Here's what I mean. It's, it's grace, but it's something you got to do as well. You got to help Jesus out. It can't just be you by yourself, God saving you. You got to add to it. So it's grace plus. Grace plus circumcision. Grace plus some ritual. Grace plus baptism. That's why we keep saying when we baptize children, we keep saying baptism doesn't save you. What saves you? The grace of God. Jesus, you believing in that story, not you being baptized. So these Judaizers, it's grace plus some ceremony, grace plus some human effort. So they didn't actually deny grace, they just added to it. And so I want to make a transition here. I'm going to be very humble, very honest, very transparent. Some of you, this may shock you, but it shouldn't, but it, it may. I was in my late 30s before I really started to understand the gospel of grace at a hard level. I mean that sincerely before I really understood it. And I'm still growing in it. I was a Nike slogan preacher, just do it mentality. I hate that kind of preaching now. I despise it. Because as we preach the Ten Commandments, what did we find out? None of us measure up. But we keep telling people to do it. Do it. Just do it. Just do it. The Nike slogan. Just try harder. It's not the gospel. And so I want to give thanks, and so do a lot of people, to the late great theologian, Pastor Dr. Timothy Keller, because it was that man's teaching that really changed my heart. I went and Sandra would tell you, and this is back in the day where before you had the, the internet and all this kind of stuff, and YouTube like it is today. So I would order 
um, like 25 of Dr. Timothy Keller when he was pastoring at Redeemer monthly. I think it was like $2, $3 a, a sermon, and I would order them monthly. And all you would find me is listening to Dr. Timothy Keller on him explaining the gospel. And I would start to cry, and I would weep, and I was pastoring the church. He said, man, you cry a lot. I was, I was, grace was overwhelming me. I said, I didn't know this. Because most of, up until that time, most of my sermons were, you just try harder. I make you feel guilty. I can make you feel bad. But I never gave you, I never pointed you towards the one who is the remedy. And I credited God in his providence by using Dr. Timothy Keller. And one of the quotes that Timothy Keller would say all the time, no chat, you would know this, some of you would know this, here it is. He says about the gospel. He said, the gospel is this. And you sitting here today, and this is true. The gospel is this, Dr. Keller says, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we can ever dare to believe. When someone says you're a bad person, you know what you should say? You should say, you're right. Pastor Dave, my pastor back up at Madison in Grand Rapids, he said, people write a letter to him and say, you're a bad pastor. Pastor Dave said, you're right. I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> we all are. We're all bad. Jesus came to save bad people. He said, I didn't come to save good people. I came into this world and died on the cross to save bad people. So when someone says you're bad, you say, yeah, you are correct. I am. I am deeply flawed. I am deeply messed up. Sin has marred me and has marred all of us. We're all broken. That's why God resists the prideful. He said, who are you to come and say that you're clean? We're all broken. But Keller says, but that gospel says, but yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's the gospel. Yes, when your wife says, you know, you're not a really good person. Yeah, honey, you're right, I'm not. Yeah, I'm really, I'm selfish. <laughs> Don't disagree with it. Say, Holy Spirit, help me not to be. <laughs> Same thing with the wives. We really are. The doctrine of salvation by grace alone, let me say this here again. The doctrine of salvation by grace alone is one of the hardest of all ideas for the human beings to grasp. Let me say this again. The doctrine of salvation by grace alone is one of the hardest of all ideals for human beings to grasp. It's counterintuitive. We don't, we, it's hard for us to understand a God who forgives the worst of us. See, we, you got to be honest with that. If you ever go do prison ministry, you got men in there who have killed their moms. They'll kill their children. And you're trying to tell me that there's a God in heaven that will reach down and forgive that man who murdered his wife and his children? Yes. 
and you will see them in heaven. That goes against all of what we think about grace. It doesn't, we don't catch that. You gotta sit with it. These Judaizers, they were struggling. Yeah, grace, but can't just, no, they got to get circumcised. No, no, you ain't just going to come up in here and, yeah, I get that grace. No, no, it ain't happening like that. You got to get cut, bro. Get the knife. Call up Chan, get one of them old dull, rusty knives. You got to get cut. Ain't going down like that. It's new. They're coming in. There's too many of them coming in. And they can just get to come in just on grace alone. No, we got to add stuff to them. So these Judaizers were struggling with this salvation by pure grace alone. The truth of the matter is, in this room today, a lot of us are struggling with it as well. You're struggling with it. You know God can really forgive you. I mean, you know, we're, I'm on the Lifelines board, and we're doing, um, what's that ministry we're calling it? Huh? How for Refuge? Yeah. And I've been in this work of helping women who had abortions. And I know women have had as many as up to 10. Yeah, it happens in our world. 10 abortions. And when it finally sits in on... Ten murders you've committed with your own body. And you're sitting down with them. And you're trying to explain what I just said. It's very difficult. Pastor, I committed ten abortions. I've been a horrible mom. And you're trying to tell me that this Jesus of I believe. Pure grace, man, people struggle. Now, I got to do something. I got to earn it. I mean, when I was at Madison, I preached on a sermon um, in John 19 when Jesus said, it is finished. And I sat down in the chair. I said, everything Jesus has done is done. All you got to do is believe the gospel. I sat in the chair. Just believe it. People said, uh-uh. You, no, no, uh, no, you can't just say that. No, no. <laughs> give me my list. I, no, 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 no. You need to give me a list. You just telling me all I got to do is believe that? Yes. No, no. I need the list. Give me a bunch of lists and a bunch of rules that I need to perform so I can come back and feel good about myself. That's why I can get your money. Because I can say, you know what? No, grace ain't enough. But if you give me $100 today, come up here and give it down, lay it in front of the man of God's feet, then I'll tell you God will bless you. And then your sins will all be forgiven. And guess what happens all over America and all over Africa? Guess what happens? People get a lot of money. <laughs> then I come in the next week uh, with a little Vuitton bag. <laughs> and then I give you another sermon to make you feel bad. Have you give us more money? <laughs> we struggle. We struggle with this grace thing. We either abuse it or we try to add to it. Or we try to earn it by our own marriage. We keep going here. Time is getting away from me. 
But the word of God keeps telling us from Genesis to Revelation, where it concludes with the great multitude, Revelation 7, there was a great multitude, too large to count from every nation and every tribe and every people and every tongue. And they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And the Bible says in Revelation 7 that they're crying out with a loud voice. Here's what they're saying, that all of salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. The Bible is constantly telling us that, that salvation is, belongs to him. It is all a work of God in itself. And so here we're about to see these elders and these apostles. How will they handle this sensitive issue? over this salvation matter. All right, Acts 15, verse 6, 1, 6 through 11. And I want to draw out here, salvation is of the Lord, three applications that the Scriptures gives to us here in, in the rest of our text. That salvation is of the Lord. Verse 6. So they're meeting... These are the men that God has providentially set up at this time to speak into the matter. So it says in verse 6, So the apostles and the elders, they were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, they're debating. The Bible says Peter stood up and he said to them, first application, brothers, you know, that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by the mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. First gospel application that salvation is of the Lord. Peter said, hear the word of the gospel in order for you to hear what precedes it. Preaching, evangelism, discipleship. Peter says, hear the word of the gospel and then believe. Not believe, then hear, but hear the word of the gospel and then believe. God has used preaching as through the foolishness to bring about salvation of his people. And Peter is saying, that these Gentiles heard the word of God. We preached it. They relieved it. That settles it. Why is that so important? Because no one, you can't control preaching. It's, it's of the sovereign work of God himself and who he opens the eyes of the blind. You can control circumcision. You can control the rituals. You can control all the marriage. And therefore, it can become about you and your church and how you get people saved. But if when it's just preaching, when I preach, I don't know what God is doing, how he's touching your heart, how he's convicting you. That is of God alone. But the Pharisees wanted to control 
who can come in and who can go out. And God will never leave. Salvation up to us because he know our hearts. So it's through the foolishness of preaching that they believe. Let's keep going. Second application. And Peter says, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Second application of salvation is of the Lord. God knows his lost sheep, and he gives them the promise of the Holy Spirit. I don't know who God lost sheep are. Jesus says in John chapter 10, all my sheep, I know them. That's why I could come to Fairfield. Because based on my outward external perception, I would say there are no sheep in Fairfield. But Jesus says, no, you don't know my sheep. I call you just to be faithful, to preach the word at Miles and at the high school. Stop worrying about who the sheep are. And they will hear my voice. When you stay faithful to proclaim my word. It says, God knows the heart. Not me, not you, not the elders. God knows the heart of his people. God knows the heart of his sheep. Jesus says in John 3, 8, Nicodemus asking him, how should one be born again? And Jesus replied to him, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is it with everyone who's born of the Spirit. It is of the sovereign movement of God himself. Peter says, God knows the heart. He gave the Holy Spirit to those Gentiles just like he did to us. But it was left up to them Pharisees and legalist people. They would have not given it to the Gentiles. You know, this is even true in American history. Black slaves started getting saved, started believing in Jesus. White Christians said, oh, nah, we don't, we don't want them meeting with us. No, we can't. And you see that with the AME church. My wife was the AME African Methodist Episcopal. They're taking communion. And whites, no, they can't take communion with us. They can't sit with us. They are slaves. They're black people. God don't want us all sitting together. See, this has been true throughout our country. This is why God would never leave salvation up to men. Because we always separate people. We always divide people. And these Judaizers is like, what Peter says, God knows the sheep. Keep going. Third application. Nine, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Peter says. God shows no favoritism or partiality. Man, this is when I saw this. Man, this is so beautiful. God shows no favoritism. Here's what this means. Whether you're poor here today, whether you're rich, educated, non-educated, black, white, Hispanic, mixed, African, Asian, 
You're an adulterer, you're a liar, you're a thief, you're an idol worshiper, you're greedy, or whatever. We all come into the family of God the same way, solely by the undeserved kindness of a forgiving God. It doesn't matter how much money you have. He makes no distinction. Whether you're poor, educated, you misuse your words, it, you come through the same door that we all come. And this is by the grace of God that emanates from this cross. And then the last point. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing the yoke on the neck of the disciples? Neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Verse 11, here it is. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Peter basically says salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Ephesians 2.8. It's not of your works. It's not of your own doing. But I love what Peter says before that. He says, he told us Judaizers. I'm closing on this. He says, he says, while you putting the yoke of the law of Moses on them were our fathers and us. We were never able to keep it. That's why I had us teach the Ten Commandments. Nobody ever kept it. And so this is a hypocrisy of human hearts. Here this man sitting there, you've never kept it. But why are you putting it on them? Sometimes we like to do that to people just to make ourselves feel good, feel holy. Yeah, you may not be lying, but you're a horrible husband to your wife. See, this is what God, and I'm going somewhere with this. Because here's what happens. Peter says, what are you doing? You and our forefathers. That's what the Old Testament is telling us. The Jews never kept the law. They always had idolatry in their lives. But yeah, here they are trying to put it over on the people of God. Then look what happens. This is good, guys, and I'm going to be done. When Peter said that, he quoted the last part that we have been saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 12, verse 11. But we believe that we will all be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And look what happens. And the word of God says, and all the assembly fell silent. Shh, what's happening? It's quiet. Everyone fell silent. What is happening? Let me preach this and I'll be out your way. What's happening? Shh, silence in the room. Grace will shut your mouth. The Holy Spirit was showing everyone in that room. I can see Apostle Paul over there with his head down, weeping and saying, man, I was a killer. I was a top goon of Jerusalem, but now I'm a man of God. And I can see Peter and all those men say, where would we be if it wasn't for the grace of God? And the Bible says they in the room felt silent. Shh. Who in this room is without sin? When they caught the woman in adultery, and Jesus, Yahweh, was there in the midst, who in the group is without sin? You pick up the stone and you throw it first. 
And the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest, they all walked away because we all, God knows our hearts. And in that room, when Peter said, we are all saved by the grace of God, and the silence fell on the room, the Holy One is here. Woe unto me. Yahweh is in the room. We are not good people. They fell silent. Who's clean? Who's holy? Who's right? Those men felt and sensed, whoa, salvation is of the Lord. And in this room today, the Holy Spirit is saying, I see you. I know every thought you have. I see the man you think about while you're married to the man you're with. I see the woman you dream about while you're married to her. God said, I see you. I know your thoughts. See, we don't understand who God is. God said, I, look, listen to me, y'all. God said, I see you. I know you. I see you when your wife can't see you. I see you when your husband can't see you. I see what you think about, what you dream about, your ambition for money. God said, I see you. I got to stop here. It's at the end of my sermon. I pick up next week, try to make it fit. But I feel the Holy Spirit says, stop. Be quiet. God's grace. I can see Paul says, where would I be if Jesus didn't show grace and kindness to me on the road to Damascus? He would be lost, eternally damned. Father in heaven, we thank you that that day people were trying to add to the grace of God. And like us, Lord, they didn't understand it. And I've confessed my own heart sometimes, Lord, that I didn't understand it either. And there are still at times when I don't understand it. But Lord, I want to do, Lord, I want you to do it the way that you would do it. I want to be like you was with that woman that was caught in adultery. I want to condemn when you are not condemning. And Lord, we're not you, so we can't always see what you see. You are the only one that knows the heart. We only can see what we see. But Jesus, you know the hearts. You can see the desperate cries of a human heart that I can't see. I don't always know when to be hard or when to be soft, Jesus. I confess that. But here's this church you've called here in Fairfield for such a time as this. Help us to be like you, Jesus. Silence us when we need to be silent. So that we don't put on people, Lord, a burden that you are not trying to tell us to do. That we don't add to people's troubles, Lord God, by our own hearts of wickedness. But help us to be 
burden bearers, Lord. Burden alleviators, so that you would set the people free. And Lord, there are people in our midst, Lord, they are burdened by sin, Lord. There's so much sin in their lives. And they're trying to ask, Lord, can I find freedom? Can I be delivered from this sin that, that I'm constantly fighting with? And I pray here, Jesus, by the power of your spirit, this country pastor from Sardis, that you would just come by the power of your spirit and pour out your grace here in Urban Hall. Lord, I want you to save the poorest of the poor, the fatherless of the fathers. And God, you kind of help us as a church to be able to love the people that come in with different distinctions, Lord, that we don't put on them and, and we don't try to make them like us, make them educated when they're not, Lord. God, help us, please, as a church. Please, God, help us. Jesus, help us, help us as a church. Jesus, help us, Jesus. Help us love your people like you love them, Jesus. Help us to care like you care. Help us to be merciful to the unmerciful, Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Urban Hope Podcast. For more information about Urban Hope Community Church, please visit our website, www.urbanhopecc.com.